Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. We hope to give Bible answers to your questions. If you have a Bible question, we want you to call us. I'm thinking if you just let me preach the whole time without any calls, it's going to be quite boring. It's the calls, you guys calling in, asking questions, making comments, the dialogue, the back and forth. That's what makes the program interesting. So, if you have a Bible question, I want you to give me a call at 877-655-6755. We've been trying to emphasize Proverbs 14, verse 12, the last few programs. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Just because something seems right to us, that doesn't necessarily make it right. For example, one thing we're going to talk about tonight, if we have time, is how that a lot of churches Maybe 50% of the congregations across the United States and Canada are now accepting gay marriage. It seems right to them. That doesn't make it right because the Bible clearly condemns it. What makes the Bible right or wrong is whether or not the Bible approves of it or not. 1 John 3, 4 says sin is the transgression of the law, God's law. So everything hinges on whether or not God's law shows approval for it. If it transgresses God's law, it's sin. It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what will bring in the most people or what's politically correct or what we think would be best. It's whatever God's word says. He's the authority. It's God that's really the authority. His word is our authority by extension. When, my, when I was growing up, my dad would tell me things to do. And if I didn't do it, I was going to get a spanking. But let's suppose he left for work before I got up, which was true most of the time. He left instructions for me. Those written instructions were... were uh, my authority, because my dad was my authority in those written instructions then, what he told me to do through these written instructions were uh, my authority by extension. And that's the same way with God's word. God's our authority and his word, the Bible, is our authority by extension. We have to follow it. Not necessarily what we think is right. That could lead to death. Proverbs 14, verse 12. Gary from Mississippi, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. You hear me, Gary? Yeah, go ahead, Gary. I'm sorry, hey, I must not I didn't look, click it right. That, that, that's all right. Look, I, I was uh, telling your screen a uh, newsletter time I call you and I uh, disagreeing or whatever, but I really just want to call tonight and tell you how much I really appreciate. I don't miss the broadcast. I catch it every Sunday evening, even though you and I uh, we might disagree on some things, but uh, the bulk of what you say I agree with and. Uh, I'm just glad that this type of program is out there allowing those of us who uh, subscribe to the Judeo-Christian doctrine to be able to call in and express ourselves and uh, have differences of opinion. So I just want to encourage you and uh, just tell you I appreciate listening uh, to the broadcast. Over, Yes, sir. I, I was just going to say I appreciate you calling in and encouraging me like that. And, and don't forget my offer. Uh, you know, if you want to have a public discussion on some of these things you disagree on, I'm perfectly willing to come down there to Mississippi. We can do it in a very friendly way. Let both sides of the issue be heard by by, uh, by anybody that wants to come hear it. Okay, Gary? Absolutely. Well, that might be something that uh, I might be able to, to put together, get with the affiliate here and uh, – and see if we can put that together. It'd be quite interesting, uh, I tell you. But I just wanted to encourage you, and I, I appreciate you even taking the time out every Sunday night to present this program to us. And thank you for that. Thank you for your encouragement, Gary. Appreciate it. Uh -huh. Have a good uh -huh. rest of the week. Okay? You as well. Thank you. All right. Appreciate that call from Gary. If you'd like to get in that on the air, the lines are wide open now. 877-655-6755.
we mentioned this issue about homosexuality because it kind of fits perfectly with Proverbs 14, verse 12. It seems right to people to allow it, but the Bible clearly condemns it. I think most of us are aware of the division that's going on in the United Methodist Church right before our eyes. That we have a lot of churches, United Methodist churches. A lot of them are in the South. I would say the majority of them don't believe in gay marriage, homosexuality. And so they're leaving the United Methodist Church and either going independent or I think a lot of them are forming their own uh, denomination, another United Methodist Church denomination. And it's all over the issue of homosexuality and gay marriage. And the, the remaining churches are saying, it's okay if you're a Christian. It's okay to be gay. It's okay to have gay marriage. That's not a sin. We're going to endorse it. The churches that are leaving are saying, no, the Bible teaches against that. And um, and they're splitting. Some of the churches are going one way. Some of the churches are going another way. Uh, did, you know, if you go back 100 years ago, nobody in the United Methodist Church, not a single church, would have endorsed homosexuality and gay marriage. They would 100% of them. I, I'm 100%, I'm sure of that. 100% of them would have said homosexuality was a sin. It's a, gay marriage is a sin. It didn't even exist back then, but if, just in theory, it would be a sin, gay marriage. But now the United Methodist Church has totally done an about face. They've compromised, and a lot of the United Methodist congregations are leaving because of that. What do we think about that? Do churches like the United Methodist Church, do they have the right to change, compromise on homosexuality and gay marriage? Do they have that right? A lot of other churches are doing it. We're going to talk about that tonight while we're waiting on our first call. And then at the end, and we may not get to it this week. I'm hoping we'll have enough calls that we won't get to it this week. We're going to talk about some other issues that where churches have compromised. Some other issues that they may, may have compromised 100 years ago or 70 years ago. This, this compromise on homosexuality in churches has mostly been in the last 20 years or so. But if we go back 100 years ago, we have a lot of different issues that churches have compromised on in the same way they're compromising now on homosexuality. We're going to talk about those, some of those, if we have time to get to them. Before we start talking about these compromises by churches on homosexuality and on other issues, let's establish from the Bible that homosexuality is indeed a sin. Now, you could probably look at five or six verses in the Old Testament proving it was a sin back then in the Old Testament. Five or six verses in the New Testament proving that it's a sin now. But let's just look at one from the old and one from the new. Now, Leviticus 20, verse 13 comes to mind. It reads this way. If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall be surely be put to death. Now, is there anything unclear about this? It's talking about a man lying with a woman, excuse me, a man lying with a man as he would with a woman, we're not talking about two little brothers having to sleep in the same bed because there's not enough beds for everybody to have their own bed. We're talking about a man lying with another man as he would with a woman sexually. Now, this is in the Old Testament, so it doesn't apply today. We're not under the Old Testament law, but let's discover what it says about that then. It says it's an abomination. And we don't usually think of uh, just minor sins as called abomination. Usually when the Old Testament calls something an abomination, it's because it's a pretty serious sin or crime. And then... According to Leviticus 20, verse 13, what was the penalty for that sin? Let me read the verse again. If a man also lied with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Have you ever been stopped for speeding? Did they put you to death? Well, 
probably not if you're listening to this program. Ha ha ha. But they gave you a speeding ticket. You don't get the death penalty for speeding. You might get the death penalty in some states for murder or for rape, but not for speeding. It's considered a minor offense. Murder, rape, serious offense, you might get the death penalty for that. So this was not only considered a sin or a crime in the Old Testament, but it was a serious sin. It was called an abomination. People who got caught doing this were put to death. And then what about the New Testament? Well, let's look at Romans 1, 26 and 27. It says, for this cause, God gave them up into vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet. Clearly, New Testament law condemning homosexuality. Verse 26 is talking about what we call lesbianism, the women changing the natural use. And then 27 is talking about what we call the gay men. The, the men were leaving the natural use of the woman, burning in their lusts one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly. Both types of homosexuality are condemned in Romans 1, lesbianism and gay men. The Bible's not ambiguous on this point. The Bible's very clear, and this is God's law. Yet, my estimate, my guess is about 50% of churches across the United States and Canada, as I said, have now said it's okay to be gay. It's okay to have gay marriage. If they're churches, they're supposed to be following the Bible. God's law, remember we said, my dad was my authority when I was a boy, so his instructions to me, his written instructions to me, when he left for work, he left those. They were my authority by extension. Well, God's word, the Bible, is our authority by extension because God, our authority, the ultimate authority, wrote these instructions for us. And churches are supposed to be following this. That's why they call themselves a church, but they're not. They're not. They're allowing homosexuality and gay marriage. They're saying it's not a sin when the Bible's so clearly against it. What about churches like that that compromise on issues like homosexuality? What do you think about that? Do they have a right to do that? Is that okay with God? Can they just compromise because it's politically correct to do so? Or they may bring in more people? Is that the way we should approach God's word? That's not how I approached the, my dad's instructions when I was growing up. If I didn't do what he said, I was getting a spanking. Now, even though the Bible is so clear on this as being a sin, haven't we seen dramatic change in American society toward accepting homosexuality since, say, about the year 2000? Well, if you go back, that's just in churches. You go back before that. Well, if you go back when I was a little boy, uh, I was born in 1961, homosexuality was accepted by no one that I knew about. Well, then Hollywood accepted it. And then after Hollywood, the world as a whole started accepting it. But then what galls me the most, starting in about the year 2000, 20-something years ago, churches started started accepting it. It's clearly condemned by the Bible. I can understand the world accepting it. They don't try to even claim or can even claim to go by the Bible. These churches are supposed to be claiming to be following God, following Christ, supposed to be claiming to be following his word. The word is clearly against this sin, as it calls it, homosexuality, gay marriage, yet the churches, about half the churches in the United States have compromised on it. Now they accept homosexuality. We talked about the Methodist church having a division on that. Probably 60 to 70% of the churches that are going to be staying with the United Methodist congregation, about 60 to 70% of them, that's because they accept homosexuality and gay marriage. Maybe 25, 30, or 40% that are leaving, they are doing what's right and leaving because they're opposing homosexuality. Let's look at another church, the Presbyterian church. 
the Presbyterian Church USA, I'm not really picking on them, but because I have some quotes directly from them and about them to show the progression of how they've compromised on homosexuality. By the way, if you have a Bible question or comment on this or any other Bible topic, give me a call. The lines are wide open. The number is 877-655-6755. You want to call in and make a Bible comment or ask a Bible question? Call us right now at 877-655-6755. First of all, we're quoting from the 1978 minutes of the 190th General Assembly of the United Presbyterian Church USA. What they officially said, how they're going to approach this issue in 1978. Here's what they said. Homosexuality is not God's wish for humanity. On the basis of our understanding that the practice of homosexuality is sin, we are concerned that homosexual believers and the observing world should not be left in doubt about the church's mind on this issue during any further period of study. Is there any doubt where this Presbyterian church stood in 1978? No. They said homosexuality is not God's wish for humanity. They said homosexuality is a sin. And they say, basically, we don't want anybody to be left in doubt about where we're standing on this issue. In 1978, they were staunchly opposed to homosexuality. 1978. And if they were opposed to it in 1978, certainly they were opposed to it in 1878 and 1778. But I bring up this quote from 1978 to kind of show you where they're maybe where they're changing. Because let's go two more years, two more years, 1980. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. The minutes from the 192nd General Assembly, 1980, from the same church. But before that, let's take this call. Jacob from Louisiana, go ahead with the Bible, your Bible question or comments, please. Uh, yes, sir. I actually had two questions, two quick ones. One being, even if I affirm what the Bible believes, how do I graciously deal with people that I know who are caught up in something that I know is wrong without pushing them away? You know, for some reason, Jesus did no sin, but sinners always wanted to be around them. Like, that's always been a marvel to me so if you could comment on that and then also completely off topic does the bible say anything about dinosaurs okay first and these are good questions jacob in ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 the bible says but speaking the truth in love so we have to speak the truth we have to tell people when they're in sin and when they're wrong because we love them and we won't them to correct that so they can be saved. But we have to do it in love. We have to do it in love. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. The Bible says that we should be first pure, then peaceable. So we have to be pure. We don't want to compromise like on homosexuality. We don't want to compromise. We've got to be first pure, then peaceable. So we're going to, you're not going to reach anybody yeah, uh, if you or if you're mean and ugly to them, right, Jacob? If you're trying to reach them with the truth, and they're not following the truth. You're not going to reach them if you're mean and ugly, right? Yeah. So we want to try to be very kind to people, but we have to be frank with them and tell them. For example, on the issue we're talking about, we have to tell them. Like I've had public debates on this, and when I've got a you know audience full of homosexuals, 100, 150, I'm going to have to tell them this is a sin. 
I say it to him as kind as I can, but I prove from the Bible this is a sin. And then say it with love and hope they'll respond. Okay? Now, does the Bible refer to dinosaurs? It never uses that term because that's a modern-day term. That term was not invented until back in the 1800s, back when they first started finding dinosaur bones. When, you know, they didn't know about dinosaurs before they started finding those bones, unearthed the, the dinosaur bones. And then they invented this word. Uh, but many people think that the word Leviathan in the Bible refers to dinosaurs. I think we see that in Job 41, for example. Maybe Psalm 74, verse 14. They think this word refers to dinosaurs. I don't know if it does or not. So I can't say for sure that the Bible refers to dinosaurs except this. If dinosaurs actually existed, and I believe they did, we find the bones, I believe they were roaming this planet. Uh, uh, I don't know, maybe they were destroyed by the flood. I'm not sure. But at one time they were roaming this planet, I believe the fossil evidence shows that. That uh, if they were created, or if they were there, then God created them in Genesis uh, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, when we talk about the creation, right? He created all the, the animals on the sixth day. So if dinosaurs existed, they were created on the sixth day, right? That makes sense, Jacob? Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So it doesn't say dinosaurs, but if, if they existed, and I believe they did, fossil evidence, Unearth under the ground says that they did, then that means they were created on the sixth day. The Bible doesn't mention them specifically unless it, unless the word Leviathan is talking about dinosaurs in Job 41 in Psalm 74, 14. Okay? Any follow-up, yeah. Jacob? Oh, well, you know, obviously a million different questions about this is one being if they did make it to the ark but this is just a general question of how did i guess it's just been the peace of god putting all these predators and all these prey locked on a boat together but somehow they all made it out but Mm -hmm. well remember there's a good chance especially with the larger animals that they took uh, uh animals that were not fully grown yet immature animals a male and a female, so that would take it up a lot less room that way. I mean, if if there was a dinosaur, like a brontosaurus taken on the ark, and I, I'm not saying there was, they might be extinct by that time, I don't know. You wouldn't want to take the fully grown version of the bron- brontosaurus. You'd want to take one that was an immature one, very small, okay? And he wouldn't be that much of a predator at that point, and he would be locked away in his own room. But Jacob, here's a passage I would like to read to you about your first question. Acts 20, verse 26 and 27, Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus. This is a church, meaning Christians he's talking to. He says, wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And then skipping down to verse 31, he says, therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Jacob, you're right. You got to be kind in doing it. You got to be loving. You got to be humble when you're doing it. But you have to. It's our responsibility to warn people about their sin because if we don't, their blood is going to be required at our hand, according to God. Make sense, Jacob? Yeah, that, that makes if, sense. If we love their soul, then we're going to do it. Yeah, we might offend them. Maybe it's our best friend and he may decide he doesn't want to be our friend anymore. 
But if we really love our soul, his soul, and our soul too, but if we love his soul, we're going to warn him about his sinful actions and then hope that he will repent. We don't want to lose a friend, but his soul is worth, his soul and where he spends eternity is worth more than that friendship. Even though that friendship is valuable to me, I love his soul enough, I'm willing to give up that friendship to try to help him get to heaven. Jacob, thank you for your call. Very good question, okay? Thanks for your insights. Have a good rest of the week, Jacob. And so we were talking about the 1980, uh, the Creed book, not the Creed book, but the minutes of the 192nd General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in the United States. And here's what they said in 1980. Homosexuality presents a particular problem for the church. It seems to be contrary to the teaching of Scripture. Now, I may be making, maybe making too much out of that word seems, but it appears to me that they're starting to be unsure about themselves. They were very sure about themselves in 1978, and rightfully so. They said homosexuality is a sin. But in 1980, they're saying, well, now, it seems to be contrary to the teaching of Scripture. It presents a particular problem for the church. Well, why would it present a problem unless there was disagreement? You follow what I'm saying? But if we're not sure that they've made a change by 1980, Certainly they have by 1991, which is Presbyterian Church USA. They say this, the church should, quote, reevaluate its definition of sin to reflect the changing mores or practices of society. The church should sound a call for widening the circle of the faithful with gays, lesbians, and heterosexual singles who practice safe sex. We feel that marriage is not what legitimates sexual gratification. By the way, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877 877- Six five five six seven five five. So here in 1978, they said homosexuality is a sin, but now they're saying the church, talking about the Presbyterian Church USA, should sound a call for widening the circle of the faithful with gays, lesbians, and heterosexual singles who practice safe sex. Well, why are they bringing up heterosexual singles? I think it's because they have to, to be consistent. In 1991, there's no such thing as gay marriage. Yet they're wanting to say it's okay to have gay sex. But those gays that they're saying it's okay for them to have sex, man to man, woman to woman, they can't get married. So they're having to have this sex outside of marriage and they're saying it's okay. Well, if they're going to say that to be consistent, they're going to have to say heterosexual singles can have sex before they get married, outside of marriage, to be consistent. I think when we were all growing up, people as old as me, 62 years old, We knew that it was wrong, according to God's word, to have sex before marriage, heterosexual sex, a young man with a young woman. But now, not only is the Presbyterian Church saying it's okay to be have gay sex, but heterosexual sex without outside of marriage. They're compromising. And the worst part of that quote is this part. The church should reevaluate its definition of sin to reflect the changing mores of society. Not only are they compromising on homosexuality, but they're admitting they're not following the scriptures anymore. They need to reevaluate the definition of sin. Of course, the Bible says sin is the transgression of the law, 1 John 3, 4. God's law. And now they're saying, no, that's not the real definition of sin. The definition of sin changes based upon the changing mores of society. If 100 years ago, society says homosexuality is wrong, we're going to say it's wrong. But if now society says homosexuality is right, we're going to say it's right. They're changing, not based upon God's word, but by but based upon their own whims. Dan from Ohio, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. 
Uh, yes. My question is concerning the phrase, once saved, always saved. For example, the Baptist, particularly Billy Graham, does preach that uh, amongst other preachers. I'd like to get your thought on that and what is the uh, – if, if that is true. I, I believe it's not true, but where would it say that in the Bible? Okay. Dan, I'm going to have to go off the air in about 40 seconds. Let me make this quick. I'm going to turn to one verse, and maybe I can call you later and give you a bunch of more verses. Galatians 5, 4, Paul said, Christ has become of no effect of you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Now, you can't fall from a tree unless you were in a tree first. So when these people have, says they were fallen from grace, that means they were in grace, they were saved, they fell from grace because they tried to bind the old law, they lost their salvation. The Baptist church will say it's impossible to fall from grace, but Paul's saying these people had fallen from grace. Dan, I'm going to have to get, let you go off the air. only got 10 seconds, okay? Thank you for your call.